0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to 1 John, chapter 2. We're going to continue our time together in 1 John as we've been walking through This book of the Bible, it's been challenging and encouraging and all wrapped up into one, and and today's no different. I was sharing with those that uh, gathered at 10 to pray that uh, today's passage is kind of one of those where he's coming back after us again a little bit. Kind of giving us a, a way to look at our walk with God and to see if we're really walking with him or not. And I shared with them, my heart was, and I've been praying, and and this passage has been beating me up all week. And I was going one way, and then I went another way. And and I don't know, you might get three different sermons, but I promise I won't be here for a couple of hours. But there's just a lot here. Whenever you open up, it's like kind of open up one of these doors within our lives that when, once we open it up, man, stuff just starts flooding in. And so my heart is is I don 't want it to be um, a time where you're discouraged. I, I, I want it to to actually you know by the, I know it 's only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. it's not you know how well it's said or anything like that it's, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that will that's the only thing that will pierce a person's heart and actually change them. so that's just been my prayer that, that somehow that we can look at this hard truth together today and um, actually investigate our lives, look at our lives, and, and then, then maybe in time of prayer, in time of repentance, when we go to communion, or in, in time of flushing this out more within our community groups, that, that we can actually start to see um, and be challenged by what John is saying to us. So with that said, let me uh, just read the passage today and pray for us, and then we'll, we're going to dive right in, so I know we took a little bit of extra time in, in our prayer time today. So let, if you would read with me in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, here's, here's what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray real quick. Father, I just again ask for your help, for your Holy Spirit to work through me and in everyone that is hearing. Lord, you've been working in my heart to reveal things in my life where I am loving the world. And Father, I I just ask that that you would do the same for each one here because it is a good thing. It is a good thing to be able to repent and turn from things and then trust in Christ's righteousness so that we may become more like you. That is your good and, and willful design for our lives. And Lord, I just pray for your help today for each one of us in doing so we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Again, Paul, I mean John has been back and forth on this idea of giving us different ways to show us are you really saved? Do you really follow Christ? But within this he's also sprinkled in some some different places within this to keep us encouraged like we looked at last week the fact that you you know the father, your sins are forgiven, right? You have overcome the evil one. And it's interesting that overcoming the evil one is the last thing he says flowing right into this passage about loving the world. Now, the main idea here is, is very easy to spot, is it not? I mean, we, we don't need a, a, a Bible degree. We, we don't need to be uh, spending hours and hours and hours studying this. We can see the very point of this paragraph right up front. His point is the command, and his point is do not Love the world. Do not love the world. The fact that John had to write this to these in this congregations and, and probably multiple congregations because they probably passed this uh, writing around. And the fact that now centuries later, God designed it for us to read it, it. It probably suggests that running within each one of us, right, is a propensity, is a is a leaning to do the very thing that he's calling us not to do, right? Do not love the world. That's what he's calling us to do. What exactly does John mean when he says, stop loving the world? Does that mean I can't enjoy ice cream anymore? Uh, I figured I'd get that reaction. It's perfect. Perfect. Or Pie. Or Chloe's apple crisp, right? How about an afternoon at the ballpark? Should I be praying to figure out how to move into a monastery? Is that what John is saying here? Don't love the world. that means I've got to completely separate myself from the world. Now there's two primary words within this command, right? Do not love. The world, love in world. We kind of looked at love two weeks ago, whenever we were looking at this new commandment, right? And and we saw that this love, this word for love, is agape, and this kind of love is a volitional love. It's a willing love. It's not exactly a feeling. It's it's something that you actually do, no matter how you feel, right? And and we and we saw that God loves us with this kind of love. It is a love from His will which really helps us out whenever we sin and stumble and, and do things because it doesn't mean that, oh, now he's angry with me, he's mad with me, he's turned his, you know, I, I've hurt his feelings. No, he's still willingly loving us. And we can step into the fact that we have an advocate and our sins are forgiven and, and that we know who the Father is. So that's the, the love that, that is being talked about here. Well, the other word in that is world. So what in the world does world <laughs> mean here? Well, in the New Testament, there's three different ways that the world is used. And the word in Greek is cosmos, which some of you are familiar with. Um, Again, it has three different senses in the New Testament. The first one is the sum of all created things. In other words, the universe, everything, right? When, when God spoke, he created everything. So in one sense, that's what the world means, the sum of all created things. A second sense would be the dwelling place of man, which is the earth. So again, it's just like many times that we have words in our English language that can mean multiple things. This is what's happening with this word world within John and within the New Testament. So if you think of John 3.19, it says this, and this is the judgment the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So the world that the light came into, the world that Jesus came into, is referred to as the earth. So we have the universe, we have the earth, and then the third way that world is used, which is being used here, is the dwelling place of sin and sinners. In other words, the fallen creation, right? Right? The fallen creation. And I know some will start thinking, well, wait a minute here. The fallen creation is the world. It's groaning. How is it? It's just the way that this word is being used. The dwelling place of sin and sinners, the fallen creation. This is what John is referring to in our passage today. However, there are two sides to John's use of this particular sense of the word, world. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin, Right? On one side is world referred to as fallen creation's subjection to the evil one, the ruler of this world. So there's a realm where, where Satan rules around, right? He, he rules in this realm. And all those who do not yet know the Lord, who are walking in darkness, Ephesians 2 tells us this. Um, Jesus calls the, the Pharisees the ones that don't believe in him, that they're of the Father, the devil, right? There's plenty of passages that shows us that. That those that are under, okay, Putin who does not know God is under the power of the evil one. Is that about the simplest explanation I can give? But that also includes our loved ones that aren't saved. It's how they're being influenced. So it's not about seeing them as good, bad, and making a differentiation in in that way, but to understand that they're in this realm and this is how they're being controlled. Ephesians is so clear about that, that this is where we were, but God brought us out of that. He took us from darkness and brought us into the light. So that's one side of that coin. John twelve thirty one says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? That's the, the idea of this sense of the word world. In First John 5, 19, John's going to, we're going to come back to this idea. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I mean, this is a significant worldview shift for us. Do we truly believe this? Do we, we truly believe that, that, okay, either you're, you're being manipulated, not manipulated, but you're, you're being influenced by light or you're being influenced by dark. You're either being influenced by the Holy Spirit or you're being influenced by the, the power of Satan. That, that's a significant worldview change for all of us. But this is what the word of God says. So many times we're, you know, it's, it's, that's why I think Paul says in Ephesians 6, our battle is not with one another. It, it's, it's happening up here. It's happening between Satan and God because that's, you know, that's the, the serious action that's happening. That's the serious war that has happened. On the other side of this coin is fallen creation as the object of God's love, right? It's the object of God's love. That's why we can't just say, "Oh, okay, everyone that's that doesn't know God, that, that are walking in darkness." We just we gotta, you know, we we don't like them or something. Well, no, because in the other sense of this word, that fallen creation, just as we once were, is the object of God's love. Right? We can probably all quote this, even if you if you haven't been in church for long or, or don't know much, you've heard this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that there's one sense that there's, in it's this sense of the, the word world, where it's, it's all those that are in the fallen realm that's controlled by by Satan, but also that they are the object, these people are the object of God's love first john four nine says in this the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through him first john two two says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, not saying that everybody will be saved, but his love will go out to the ones that are written already in the land's book of life, that he will call to himself. And the amazing thing is, is we can see in in first, in, in, sorry, John 1.10, in John 1.10, he uses all three forms of this world. And maybe that kind of, it helped me a little bit to, to kind of differentiate what is happening here. In, in John 1.10, it says he was in the world, that's Jesus was in the world. In other words, Jesus was on earth. Right, That's the first sense of the word. And the world was made through him. So now he's talking about the universe, right? Everything was made through Jesus. He was there at creation. So now he's talking about the universe, right? When he talks about the world. So he was in the world, talking about the earth, and the world was made through him. In other words, the universe, everything that we have is made through him. Yet the world did not know him. And there's the third sense of the world that those that are living in darkness did not know him. The people in this fallen world are to be loved. The system of this fallen world is to be rejected. The people in the fallen world are to be loved and the systems of the fallen world are to be rejected. This is what John is saying when he says, do not love the world. Or the things of this world. He's talking about the system of the fallen world is to be rejected. John is telling us not to be in love with the system of this world. The fallen creation that is under the control of the evil one. Now, this is going to come up at a a later date. This is something I've been wrestling with for a while and and something that that I was even telling Terry, it's like, man, I really want to talk about this, but it's just such a large subject that there's no way to to stuff it into this sermon and, and give it justice. But I think the number one system... And and I'm getting this from very smart people with books that, that I can hand to you and things that I've been reading and understanding about the world that we live in. But I think the number one system that we're falling into that is of the world is the mental health system. If you look at Carl Truman's whole book on the psychologized self, if you if you look at at many of those that are in the biblical counseling movement, it all by the way isn't like just stuffy Bible people that are looking at science and are against science. No. Most of those people are quoting people within the mental health movement that are raising the flag and saying, What are we doing to people? What are we doing to people? again i i got to digress but i think that's like the number one system that we right now and it'll change give it another a year or two it'll it'll change to something else unfortunately that that we're just buying into and and not doing our due diligence in and seeing that that yes that, that some of those things are are very good that they observe things very very well but We need, as Christians, to be going to our word for the solution, right? We need to be going to the word for the solution. Um, So again, John is saying, we are not to love the things of this world. So what are those things? Well, look at verse 16. He's going to give them to us, at least some of them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world, Desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh? These are the desires that come from within us. Right? Galatians 5, 19 through 21 gives us those desires. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here we have Paul and we have John agreeing on something. If you love the world, or if you do these such things, these these desires, then the love of God is not in you. And maybe, just maybe... If this is a perpetualness of your life, if this is every day of your life, then maybe, just maybe, John is now calling us to say, "Is the love of the Father in you? Do you actually know Him? Have your sins actually been forgiven? Do you have the Spirit dwelling in you?" So, is Christ's likeness is to love your neighbor as yourself? Then fleshiness is to love yourself so much more than your neighbor. Remember how he, he was telling us that we need to, one of the commands is we need to love one another. So if Christ's likeness is to love your neighbor, that's how he ended one of, one of his, his passages, that we are to be like Christ. If Christ's likeness is to love your neighbor as yourself, then, then, then fleshiness is to love yourself so much more than your neighbor. That's what your desires, your flesh wants to do. It's, it's all about me. It's all about me. What about me? What about me? You wake up in the morning saying that, what will gratify me? What will make me feel good? What do I want right now? Now, we have, unfortunately, come to a a place in the church and in the culture where not only are we not allowed to reject those desires, but you are suspect if you are to tell someone that they ought not to embrace those desires, right? Right? Now, now we're not even to, even allowed to question that. So if, if, if I'm a, a, a man and I have attractions to other men, you can't even ask them to question that or you get ridiculed or you get put in your place. Or it's called a hate crime to even say, can you look at your desires? Unfortunately, that's inside the church and outside the church. The cry is, why do you have desires if we are not to embrace them? That's, that's what the, the cry is. And by the way, that comes from the system that says, look inside yourself to fix everything. I got to stop. Aren't you born that way is what would be said. Of course, the response is sort of, right? We've all been born twisted in some way. It just comes out different ways. And that's the side thing that many Christians do is, is we take certain categories and we elevate these categories and, and we think like somehow these people are, are above forgiveness or something, but yet we live you know, just as debased, debauchery lives as, as, as maybe this sin is causing them to live in, but, but we judge them in that way. No. This is why we need to, to understand what it means to be poor in spirit, to actually see that you're a sinner. Because if not, then we just become legalists. And that's never a good thing because that's devoid of the gospel. Right, but you can be born again. That's the beauty of it. You can be born again a different way. God says that he's going to change our hearts. He's, he's going to cause us to be born again when the Holy Spirit dwells in us after hearing the good news of what Christ has done, the gospel So, are you and I more eager to give into gratify the flesh? We may be more eager than we think. All right? We may be more eager than we think. Consider for a moment just the, the idea of sensuality and some of the things Paul says in chapter 5 of Ephesians. When he talks about sexual immorality and impurity, covetousness, these things must not even be named among you is what he says. So, are we eager to gratify our flesh in this way that Paul talks about? Matthew Henry said, a good man will be ashamed to speak of what many wicked men are not ashamed to do. That a good man, in other words, he's referring to those that are born again and had the Spirit dwelling in them, would be ashamed to speak of what wicked men do, but... We as Christians make jokes about it all the time. We participate in it. We're walking in the world and we're working out of the fleshly desires. We're gratifying the desires of the flesh. So let us not be too quick to let ourselves off the hook. There are all sorts of things that good, nice, ordinary Christians tune into. Shows that we love to watch Things that we allow ourselves to watch, this fleshly desires we gratify. I mean, the, the one example that, that I thought of, and I remember a lot of people talking about this, and I, I know nothing about it, so I, I'm kind of speaking in ignorance other than I know that there have been articles written about this. I don't understand Christians watching the Game of Thrones. Right? It, there's actually conversations where, oh, no, wait a minute, this isn't so bad. Wait, From what I read in, in this argument, oh, yes, it is bad. Oh, Joe, you're just, you're humbub. You're just, you're just old and it just doesn't, well, no, I'm not that old yet. I am older than you, most of you. But seriously, if if there's good, right Christian people that have to write an article stating, I don't understand why Christians are watching this show, you're just fulfilling the desires of your flesh. Kevin Young said, I think if our fathers and mothers from centuries ago would come and visit us in our day in this land and within the church, there are two things they would be most most surprised about. One, our fabulous wealth, and two, the degree to which we are so comfortable with sexual sin. We just it's no big deal. We blow it off. We excuse it by saying, Well, it wasn't that bad. And we become dulled to what we are actually viewing, what we are actually watching. So let's just go through a quick thought experiment, real quick, and and I, I'm going to try to do as as least, you know, as as I possibly can to respect the people. Because it, honestly, I feel uncomfortable even talking about this, but I, I think this really illustrates where we're at. Just because there's there's ladies here, so just think about this. If you were walking by a park and you saw there on a park bench, there was just a couple that were, were being intimate, okay? They were really, really being intimate. I mean, like to the point of uncomfortable, right? As you walk by in person. So let me ask you a question. Would you, would you get on your phone and would you call your, your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your buddy or, 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 or your mom and say, hey, Get the lawn chairs. We got to come check this out. There's some people in the park doing something. I want, you know, let's go check it out. It's my, my fleshly desire. Really want. Let's let's go check it out. And most of you are cringing of even saying that, right? Would you call them up? Hey, there are two people. This this is what you're, you can see. Come down. Okay, so what if those people would say, but wait a minute here, wait a minute. We're here every day because we like this and we want to do this and we want you to watch. I'm asking you, how many of you will go get your lawn chairs and go down to the park and set up and watch? Right? How many of you will absolutely pull up a seat? So the the question is is in that somehow if we watch it on a screen, it's just normal. No biggie. It's okay. But yet in the other scenario, we would have nothing to do with that. Do you see how easy the world system is playing in how it's shaping our minds? And saying, that's no big deal. That's natural for me. Right? This is a, a natural thing for me to want. This is a natural thing for me to do. Yes, that is true. But the Bible also says you need to repress that until there's a proper time for that, and that's whenever you are married. You see how the world system is shaping us in so many ways? It's incredible. Sensuality and morality, the things that we have gotten used to, would absolutely not pass muster for the Apostle John, let alone our God, let alone our, our holy and just God that sent his Son to save us. We gratify these desires of the flesh, these lusts within us. John goes on to a second category, and everyone's saying an amen, of things in the world, desires of the flesh. And then he talks about the desires of the eyes. If the lusts of the flesh are basically what come from within us, then these are the lusts that come from outside us. Temptations that come through the eye. Greed, envy, jealousy, again, sexual stimulation. You remember the garden? The woman saw that the tree was good and delight for the eyes. The first thing she saw was, oh, It's good. Even though Satan was tempting her. Oh, it's good. Let me take that. I see that it's good. We sin because it looks so good. David Wells says, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness looks strange. Now tell me you haven't lived that in the last five years that you've refrained from doing something that you know is sin and be persecuted by it because someone calls you an old fuddy dudley or, oh man, you're just a boring person or it's okay, it's fine. I think we've all faced that in some form or another. But worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. I'm trying to give you an idea of what it means to love the world. Let's be honest, most of us and most of the people we come in contact with on a daily basis, we don't have direct contact to these big thinkers that, that we think shape people, right? We, you know, like Darwin and, and all these big philosophers, philosophers, we think these are the people that are shaping people. No, it's what we watch is what's shaping us. It's the day in, day out of what we consume from, from the world, the fallen world that is controlled by the evil one. It puts out there and was become numb, and, and that's what it does. It, it numbs us, and then we begin to say, well, that's, that's normal. That's to be expected. Why? why? Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Trust me, it, there ain't nothing in here that Joe hasn't, yeah, still dealing with and working on here. We kind of laugh at it. Then, then you think there's nothing that could be too wrong with it because sin has been made to look normal and righteousness now looks very, very strange. Matthew five twenty nine says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. I think Jesus is pretty serious about some of these things. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. The pride of life. We are warned here not to believe the lie that your life is actually about you. That the way to make yourself happy is to spend as much time as possible trying to make yourself happy. When actually, if you want to make yourself miserable, not to mention those around you, get up each morning with one singular purpose in mind, I must be happy. Then what happens? As we have these desires, and we, we see that what we want, and then we demand people to capitulate to those demands, to those desires. This is much of what we talked about last night at the marriage conference. This is what we do to our spouses. This is what we do to, in any relationship. As we first have a desire, and then we turn it into a want, and then you then demand that you must make or you must fulfill that want in us, and then whenever, we fail, whenever that person fails and, and no longer wants, then we, got to, we judge them and then we punish them, and then the cycle starts all over again. So if you really want to be miserable, start every day by trying to make yourself happy and making everybody else around you happy. Now, if you add to that, by the way, I must be happy in Christ, then you're on to something. To those that are studying John Piper on Tuesday nights. You're on to something there. Because that is truth. I'm happy in Christ. But the thing is, is when you're happy in Christ, what is the example of Christ? The example of Christ is a servant who went to the cross for the people he loved. Right? Not, well, I'm I'm God, man. Serve me. Right? Right? So happy in God, happy in Christ, yes. (laughs) Yes, don't hear me not say that, that's for sure. But if you get up, if you get up and say, my goal today is to think about Joe, I need to think about Joe, I need to worry about Joe, I need to make sure everything's okay about Joe, I am going to be miserable, and so will everyone around me. Because what happens then is I live my life expecting everybody else to talk about Joe and to please Joe and to serve Joe, and that's the pride of life. When this is the goal, when we then boast in this life, and when this life is what defines us, gives us meaning and purpose, we are living for something that will just pass away. How do you fill in the blank to this sentence? Stop and think about this. Right now, every one of us will have a different answer. If I only had blank, I'd be happy. If I only had that job, if I only had a bigger house, if I only had a better vacation, if I only had some new clothes, if I only had a higher GPA, even these good things will become God things, and that's a bad thing. Do you see, though, that whatever you put in the blank, that's your pride, that's your life. That's your God. The world says, if it feels good, do it. If it seems good, take it. If it will make you look good, go after it. John says, do not love the world. Isn't it interesting that these three things in the world that John described matches up with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? For 40 days, he didn't eat. And the devil says, you hungry? Your flesh desires something, Jesus? Well, turn these stones into bread and fulfill those desires. You see the kingdom of this world and their glory? I can give you that. Right? The desires of your eyes, you you see the kingdom? I I can give it all to you. I mean, just stop and think about that. If, If Satan can say that to Jesus then that means they're all his. So everything that I talked about at the beginning of a certain sermon about this world falling under Satan's power is also defined here. You see the kings of this world and their glory? I can give you that. Just bow down to me. Desires of the eyes. You are the son of God, right? Satan tells him. Cast yourself down here and you'll get all your angels. They will save you and everyone will know you are the son of God. Declare it. Make everybody know it. That's the pride of life. Now, if that's what the Lord Jesus faced, we should not be surprised that we face the same thing. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. We must not love the world and the things in the world. Why not? He gives us two reasons in 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Love for the world and love for the Father are mutually exclusive. People think being a Christian means that I can I can give God 55% and I'll keep 45% and chase after the world with that. This math does not exist, according to John. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. James 4.4 4 says it this way, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We don't do this perfectly, but we are striving to put off the love of the world and put on the love of the Father. The second reason he gives us in verse 17, and most of us know this, or we are on the path to learning this because we have been let down enough that we're beginning to actually see it. And it's this, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides It's all passing away. It's all fleeting. Every achievement achievement that we earn, every status that we get, everything that we have, it's all passing away. It's all temporal. It's all going somewhere. The stuff you are clicking on, the stuff your eyes are lusting after, it won't last. Think of the rich man. Think of the rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16. Stop and think about that. Lazarus dies and goes to heaven. The rich man dies and goes to hell. And what does he ask? Could I go back and tell my brothers? Can I go back and tell them that, wait a minute, all my riches and everything that that I've accomplished and everything that I have, it ain't worth it. It's not worth it. Can I go back? And Abraham says to him in that passage, child, remember you in your lifetime received your good things. That is a sobering moment. When he realizes that he got his desires of the flesh, the desires of his eyes, and being a rich man was his pride of life. He got it all. And he's there crying out to go warn his brothers, please don't come down the same path I did. This Jesus thing, this Christ, this is real. He loved it all and it's all gone. Would you tell my brothers that Christ is worth it? and the world is not it doesn't last see the the bible is a tale of, of two loves and we see it here so clearly in these verses you have in one corner the love of the world and in and it looks good but it does not deliver it does not satisfy it does not last and then in, you have in the other corner the love of the father who keeps his word keeps you fulfilled and keeps you going This is my Father's world. God so loved the world, the love of God, of the Father, is pure. It's self-sacrificing. It gives us and it expands us. It is in every way the opposite of the love of the world. So you fight desire with desire. That's how we fight, that's how we strive. It can't be a bunch, a list of do's and don'ts. It has to be desire for desire. We must fulfill the desires of this world with a greater desire. And that greater desire is God, Jesus, all that he has done for us. We fight desire with desire. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, that you shall see God. How do you overcome the love of the world if you believe in your heart that you will see God that he is better than all those things And then we have a fighting chance to see God and know him to know your sins are forgiven to know you are overcome you have overcome the evil one this is who you are And don't allow the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes in the pride of life to squelch that. Fight desire with desire. You will not find who you are, and you will not find what you really want in the world. It's only found in one place. And it's found in the Father. It's found in Him. Shall we pray? Father, I, I know that that this passage is is hard. I know this this passage it in many ways it reveals our hearts. It's showing our desires. It's showing that the many things that we see are forming us. The many things that we think are so very important that they give us identity. The pride of life is, is shaping who we are and, and how we live. And Father, you're coming along with, with your word that, again, that you wrote to, the, to these people. And, and, and for many, many years and many more years to come, we will come across this passage and be reminded again not to love the world. Father, I pray that as we turn to communion and look at what you have done for us, the sacrifice you have given us, the love that you have given us, Lord, I I pray that we maybe today just take that next step of laying something from the world down, repenting of it, seeing you for who you are, and replacing that desire with the desire the good desire of seeing you and knowing you and experiencing you, Father. If there is one here and we're listening that does not know you, I, I pray for their soul, Lord. I pray that that you would send the Spirit to change their hearts, so that they then can see you for who you are. That they may repent and turn from trusting in themselves in all the desires that's within them, and all the things that they see through their eyes that they, they want, they just want, Lord, and that you would change their hearts so they would want you. Lord, I pray for that person today, that you would save them. Lord, we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.